Okay, welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris, one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk. Welcome to all of you who are watching online, no matter uh, where you are. Welcome to those who are at Blackhawk Fitchburg, Blackhawk Downtown, and those of you who are at the other uh, venues here at Brader Way in Traditions and Gospel Fusion. And welcome to you folks right here. Hey, the uh, seasons are changing, and I am pumped about Did you know it actually snowed a little bit like this week? So that's kind of cool. I love the change of seasons. I love this time because Major League Baseball is uh, playing, you know, the playoffs and stuff. like The Cubs are not in the playoffs. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but that's okay. Next year could be the year that the Cubs, you know, well, anyway, everybody's sick of me talking about the Cubs. So listen, uh, one of the things that we love about this time of year is that our favorite Halloween, our favorite holiday, well, as I just said, it, it's Halloween. It's coming around the corner. And at our house, if you ask my two adult children, what's the best holiday at the Dolson house? They would say it's Halloween. Why? Because we go all out. At Halloween, we become like the donut house. We make donuts for like the neighborhood. This is how we do it. We buy really cheap biscuits and then you make a hole in the biscuit like that, and kids watch this and go, here's where the hole in the donut comes from, like this. Just make a hole, and then you put it in hot grease, and then you kind of like turn it over, and then you take that, and then you put it in powdered sugar, and then you serve it, and kids go crazy over this. We have been doing this tradition for about 35 years, and in our neighborhood, we're like known as like the donut house. One uh, mother said to us last year, my daughter woke up today and she said, can we go to the donut house today? It's a really popular thing in our neighborhood. Here's why we do it. We love our neighbors. Like what? <laughs> this is like one of the only times of the year, the only time of the year at our neighborhood where our neighbors, all of them, actually come to our house. That's what happens at Halloween at your house. Your neighbors are actually coming over to your house. So we make a big deal uh, out of it and have like a super amount of fun. We just love it. But there is an aspect of Halloween that troubles me, obviously. You probably understand what that is. That is the fascination that our culture has with evil and the devil and Satan. Our culture is just fascinated with that. If you go to the internet and kind of look at the internet movie database, type in Satan, you find that there's over 200 movies just about Satan. If you go to Wikipedia and you type in a search bar, they'll point you to over... 4,700 pages about Satan. The odd thing about the fascination that our culture has with Satan is that a whole bunch of Christians don't believe he exists. That's just odd. One survey said this, four out of 10 Christians, that's 40%, strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. 40% of people who self-identify as Christ followers. Now, just to be fair, 
some of the Christ followers who took that survey might, when the survey said, well, Satan, they might have been thinking that the survey was really about this being right here. Oh, yeah, well, I don't believe that there's a being who has horns and who has like a pitchfork and a tail like that. Okay, that's just goofy. But if you're a Christ follower and you pick up this book, it's a different story. Every New Testament writer affirms the existence of Satan. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 29 times he's referred to, 25 of those times, Jesus is the one who is speaking. If you believe in what Jesus is saying in the Bible, you're going to believe that there is a real being called Satan or the devil. It's not a metaphor, not a symbol of evil, but he's like there's a real being called Satan. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to Blackhawk Church, the church that talks about the devil. And he doesn't wear Prada. But we're going to talk about him today. Why are we going to talk about Satan? Because Halloween's coming up? No. Because we're going through a series called Live This Book. And as we're going uh, through the series, we want you guys to kind of know uh, different storylines about the Bible. And here are the storylines, seven of them. God's plan for humanity. The humans rebel. God chooses a people. God's people rebel. Jesus the King. The empowered church. God's mission accomplished. This is the sixth Sunday in that series. And we've been spending all of our time right up here. But today there's a big transition to chapter 3 in Genesis. The humans rebel. The human rebellion is where we're moving into chapter 3 today. And the human rebellion, you can't read about chapter 3 without talking about Satan. So that's what we're going to do today. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When we were putting uh, this series uh, together, we knew we were going to have to spend some time in chapter 3. But we couldn't just go right away to the human rebellion. Because verse 1 in chapter 3 doesn't say, now the humans, no, it's now the serpent. So we thought, well, we got to focus on Satan for at least one talk. So that's this talk. Next week, Charles will come up here and he will talk about the rebellion, how it affected humans, and the consequences of that. And then the week after that, I'll come up and talk about how the human rebellion affects our relationship to the created order. But today, we're going to talk about Satan. Let me make just two observations from that passage in Genesis chapter 3. The first observation, there's a serpent that's talking. That's just weird. I mean, does anybody, when you read that, you just go, this, this is just weird. This is just strange. And the strangest thing about it is that as you read the narrative, the woman is not saying, oh, snakes can talk. I didn't know that. As you read the narrative, it looks like everything is perfectly in order, and she's not surprised at all that the serpent is speaking to her. Is that what you see in the narrative? Yes. Scholars who study ancient Near Eastern literature tell us that shouldn't really surprise us. Because in ancient Near Eastern literature, when someone is writing about uh, human beings interacting with other divine beings, those divine beings sometimes take the form of an animal. So the original readers would not have said, whoa, that's weird she's talking. They wouldn't have said that at all. Although that's what we say. We say this all the time at Blackhawk Church. The Bible is not written to us. It's written for us, not to us. When we read the Bible, it's a cross-cultural experience. And we have to get into their culture. People coming out of Egypt in those days, the people who this book was written to, they just freshly came right out of Egypt. Nobody in Egypt, you guys, believed snakes could talk. But when they read that kind of literature about beings interacting with other beings, it was very common for animals to speak. They wouldn't be surprised by this at all. That tells us that there is some kind of backstory here. There are other beings that are present. We know that also from the rest of the Bible. Psalm 82, we read this. God has taken his place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods, the Elohim. He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Eden is not an ordinary neighborhood. 
Eden is a neighborhood where uh, there are divine beings, the counsel of God, walking around with other kinds of animals and human beings, and they're all intermingling with each other. And she runs in to one of these beings, and he starts to have a conversation with her. First observation. Second observation. The serpent is never called Satan. Not in this narrative. Read over it again. He's just referred to as the serpent. So how do we know that that's actually Satan? Well, the rest of the Bible helps us with that. We read in the Apocalypse, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Again, in Revelation, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So there is a being, a divine being, who's speaking, and we know his name is Satan. And it makes us want to ask the question, what is the prequel to this? What is the backstory? We'd like to have more information here. So maybe what we should do right now is just kind of stop the series and do a whole series on the invisible realm. But we decided not to do that. Why? Because we've done a series on the invisible realm. We did a series in May of 2018 on the invisible realm. And if you uh, go to our resource page, you'll find uh, that series. So there is, there is a, a backstory that the reader automatically starts asking, like, what, what, how did, what's happened here? And we answered those questions in the Invisible Realm series. But to kind of be fair, let me just kind of do a little brain dump on some Bible passage about a Satan to just teach us a little bit about him. First thing about Satan, that's not his name. Or it's kind of his name. Or it's not his name. It's a title. It's confusing. <laughs> Satan is one of the few English words that we get directly from uh, the Hebrew. Here's uh, the Hebrew, Satan. Satan means to oppose someone or something, or it's the adversary. That is, Satan can either be a noun or a verb. You have to look at the context for that. We have lots of English words that are either nouns or verbs. It depends on the context. Exit uh, is, uh, can be both a noun and a verb. There's an exit, and yet, oh, and now you guys should exit now. So it's a noun and a verb. Badger can be both a noun. Oh, that's a badger. Or it can also be a verb. Satan is like that also. So what's his name? The Satan, the adversary. Well, what's his name? Well, he has many names. If we look in the New Testament, we read these names. Tempter, Beelzebub, enemy, evil one, father of lies, murderer, the prince of this world, adversary, deceiver, the great dragon. Look at that list right there. What's a popular name for Satan that's not on that list at all? The answer is the devil. 
The devil is his main name in the New Testament. Devil translates this word, diablos. It's only a New Testament word for him. And it's the name for him. The backstory is that uh, the devil, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel, he rebelled against Yahweh. And he took part of the divine counsel with him. His own angels. The devil has his... Angels aren't just good, you guys. There are bad angels also. Jesus makes this reference in Matthew chapter 25. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He has his own set of angels. I like this verse also because it, it reminds us that Satan is not in hell, you guys. That's a myth. He's going to the eternal fire. That's where he's going to end up. But he's not there now. He can pretty much be wherever he wants to be. He is the prince of this world. He and his angels are perfectly free to roam about. And they do roam about. There are lots more things that I could talk about in terms of Satan and his angels. But I think the thing I want to do today is I want to focus on his main tactic. What's his main, what's his main operating tactic? Jesus makes this very clear in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders are challenging Jesus. And they know something about his past. They, they know, well, you know, Mary's his mother, but his, yeah, we don't know who his father is. He's illegitimate. That's what they're saying about Jesus. Here's the context. They said to him, the religious leaders, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and, you, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is the liar and the father of lies. This is Jesus' take on Satan. This is his main tactic. He is a deceiver. He majors in misinformation. He deceives. Now, we should all know something about deception, like if you work with a computer, some IT department, wherever you work, or some people have taught you about, well, there's all kinds of malware out there and all kinds of phishing scams. You can be careful for that. Here's an example of a deceptive email that uh, you know somebody might send to you. It's just like an illustration. So let's say you get something from uh, blackhawk.com You go, oh, I'm going to open up, see what Pastor Chris, my last name is Dolson, see what Pastor Chris is. That's, that's, look at that. That's not how you spell my last name, two S's, and that's not how you spell Blackhawk. It's blackhawk.org, actually, not blackhawk.com. But if you click on that and you were deceived, what happens? 
Well, somebody from the IT department starts yelling at you and go like, what, fishing? You gotta look carefully at things. This is a deceptive tactic. And the enemy, Satan, he majors in deception. We see his pattern in Genesis 3. Let's go back there. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see his tactic here? The plan of Satan is that he is he's trying to get us to move away from God's plan and on to his plan. It's his tactic. Satan gets people to question God's plan. Genesis 3.1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? No. Go back to Genesis 2. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The command in Genesis 2 is about freedom. Look at all these things that are in Eden. You're completely free to eat all of these, but not that one. And when Satan talks to her, he says, did God say you can't eat from any? No. There's that one. And then she focuses. Not on freedom that God has given, but on a restriction that God has given. He's a tricky, tricky guy. Second part of deception goes like this. Satan gets people to wonder if God has our best interest in mind. Look what the text says. You will not certainly die, the servant said, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. It's Elohim. I really think it's like the gods, like the other divine beings in the council, knowing good and evil. God's a jealous rule maker here. You see, he doesn't want you to know what's really best in this world. He's keeping things from you. God is not good. That's his plan. Next part of his plan, Satan gets people to believe, I'll be better if I go with my plan, not God's plan. Satan never says to her, you should eat from that tree. He never commands her to eat. She just puts two and two together. Oh, I should focus on this tree. And God's trying to keep something from me. So I'm going to do what I want to do because I think this is what's best for me. 
See how that works? It's a pattern he repeats over and over and over again. Here's a summary of the plan. God, he gets God's image bearers to question God's plan, wonder if God has our best interest in mind, and believe that we will be better off if we go with our plan. I'm not going to go with God. I want to do what I want to do. Boom. So how does that work today? I mean, most likely your neighborhood is not Eden. <laughs> You're not going to see a, a talking snake. But we still fall victim to his deceitful ways. There are lies that we tell ourselves. Here's one lie. If I had more stuff, I'd be happy. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I had more stuff, I'd be fantastic. That's a lie. You know, uh, when you're in the 20s and 30s, you're just scraping by, you're trying to get more and more, and you're just like, wow, man. I could introduce you to so many people who are like my age. They got stuff, and they're not happy. <laughs> they wish they were back in their 20s and 30s when they were eating ramen noodles in some rented apartment. And they would say, that's, that's when we were happy back in those days. The truth is, you're an image bearer of God. And the way you find fulfillment in life is to be like God. To love other image bearers like God loves and to rule the world like God wants you to. That's where you find satisfaction in life. Here's another lie. I'm ugly. No one loves me. You could be a teenager and you could be just spending so much time with your device. You could be in TikTok, Be Real, Instagram, and you look at other people and the way they live their lives, and you're just thinking, you know, I'm not like them. I'm not cool like them. I'm not like them. I'm ugly, and no one loves me. It's a lie. It's a lie. Actually, you are made in the image of God. You're actually amazing, actually. Remember Charles's message on the, the fact that we are image bearers. We're image bearers. If we understood that, we would all, like, look at the people around us and go, whoa, 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 you're amazing. We should just like, after, after the service is over, you just walk up to somebody and go, you're actually, wow, you're amazing. No one's ugly. We are image bearers of God. That's the truth. Of it. But Satan doesn't want you to focus on that. Here's another lie. Everybody would be better off if I wasn't around. It's a lie. It's from Satan. It's not true. If you are thinking about death by suicide, I do not want you to leave this building or Blackhawk Fitchburg or Blackhawk Town Town unless you stop and talk to a pastor first. If you are online, dial 988. This is a lie. You are valuable. People would miss you. It's a lie. And he wants you to get you focused on that and think, this is what I need to do. I need to put a plan together to take my life. It's a lie. Don't leave Blackhawk Church unless you talk to somebody about the plan that you're thinking about. Here's another lie. Everything has to be perfect before I can rest. Maybe you were raised by some perfectionist mother, some perfectionist dad, 
And they were just working, hardworking people. And they said, no, no, you can't rest because that's not done. You can't rest because that's not done. That's a lie. You're in the image of God. God wants you to have a regular time of rest, weekly, actually, a weekly period of rest where you can rest in who God has made you to be. Don't follow that lie. Here's another lie. I'm married to the wrong person. Hey, we were young. We didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, it's just like life is just proven that we just need to go our own ways. And there's time left. You might find somebody. I might find somebody. We just made a mistake. Listen to Matt's message from last week. There's no right person out there. Trust me. God wants you to know that you're an image bearer. You bear his image. And you're in a relationship with another image bearer. You thought it was a good idea one time. When you first got married, you didn't say, I'm going to marry you because I want my life to be miserable. No one says that on their wedding day. (laughs) You voluntarily get into it and you think, oh my gosh. He wants you to work through difficulties that you're going through and not believe the lie. We could just, I could just go up here all day long, go boom, 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 boom. These are lies that he tells us constantly. Well, how, how do we battle against these lies? How, what, what, what can we possibly do? Well, first of all, we shouldn't be part of the 40% of Christians who don't believe that Satan exists, actually. <laughs> we should believe that he is a real being and that he is a ch- our chief opponent. Paul writes this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's two kinds of churches. There's churches that talk about Satan all the time. He's behind everything. And there's churches that don't talk about him enough. Hardly ever refer to him. If Blackhawk falls into an air, I think we fall into this air right here. We don't talk about him enough. Hey, we're educated people. We're smart people. We want rational arguments for everything. I'm for, I'm for that. I'm for that. Totally. But in our quest to have a rational answer to everything, we forget about the supernatural. And there is a being who is against us. He hates Black Hawk Church. He hates God's people. He hates Jesus. He hates the cross. He hates grace. He hates love. He hates justice. He hates the idea that we're trying to be a multicultural, multi-generational community. He loves birds of a feather fly together. He hates it when we try to mix that up. He absolutely hates it. When I hear people in our church talking about how divided the world is today, I hardly ever hear anyone say Satan's name. He is the chief problem. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
So, how do we overcome him? We can't, actually. Only God can. James says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 1 John 4 says this. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus is more powerful than Satan. I mean, so much more powerful. It's like, you know, the end of Satan and the end, and at the end of the Bible, it's like an afterthought. If you read too fast the book of Revelation, you completely, completely miss it. It's like, oh, we're done with you now. He's, he's completely powerless against Christ. Christ is more powerful. God is more powerful than him. In Revelation 21, we see his demise. It goes like this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that's it. Boom. Just like, boop, boop, boop. We're done with you now. You read too fast, you just read right over it. It's like one pastor and theologian said, one little word will fell him. Boop. The pastor and theologian who said that, you know what his name is? Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote this famous hymn, about 500 uh, years ago, and it's one of the greatest hymns that I know of, and it's the best song I know of about Satan, actually. I don't know a lot of hymns about Satan, but this is uh, one of them. And I thought I'd go out on a limb uh, today, and I thought, you know, the way we end a message like this is that we should have all of our venues uh, at all sites uh, sing uh, this song. The song is called A Mighty Fortress is our God. The song's words are archaic. We don't talk like this uh, anymore, but the theology is spot on. And I thought, you know what? Let's sing some good theology, not for a change. We sing good theology around here all the time, but let's sing good theology from another day. It's also a reminder to us that, you know, we just didn't invent Christianity a few years ago. We stand on the shoulders of Millions of people for generations and generations. Luther, Martin Luther, he wrote this song. All the, uh, at all sites and venues, worship leaders just come to the platform right now. Here we go. Mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, bulwark, another name for a mighty fortress, basically. It's poetry, never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Absolutely true. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving will be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost, you know, do you ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, Lord of hosts, his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled. See, there you go. That's the, uh, there's not like, oh, they're, they're in hell right now. They're not in hell, you guys. They're everywhere unseen realm though this world with devil's filled should threaten to undo us we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph 
through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell them. Somebody say amen. Man, I feel like I'm all by myself. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever.